reading tonight is from 1 Timothy, chapter 5, verses 1 to 16, on page 1,193. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list. For when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. Not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who really are in need. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. this okay? That's fine. Well, good evening, everyone. Um, does anybody remember the passage where Paul defends uh, his apostleship and says, I was flogged so many times. I was shipwrecked 
so many times. I've had the Gentiles after me, and this has happened, and that has happened. It's, it's a terrific catalogue. And then at the end, he says, and on top of that, that I have all the care of the churches. And if you want to unpack uh, what he means by that, I suggest we read the, his letters. Because what he's doing is bringing out the care of the churches, the headaches that are going on, the heads he wants to knock together, uh, and so on. Um, now, Dr. Hirons this morning um, helped us to realize that parables were devised to be heard rather than written. And if that's the case, following on from Stephanie last week, which I listened to online, the apostolic letters were written to be read out to the churches in one sitting, not dissected as we do today. <laughs> but I find it jolly useful to dissect Paul's letters because they are so rich. You know, they need unpacking. However, it, when we're doing a, a, a short book, um, I would encourage you to, during that series at home, just read through the whole book yourself. And you get the feel of where everything fits and why he's saying what he's saying. And I've chosen um, a top and tail verse. Um, the top intro verse is verse 7. So if you want to um, have your Bible ready, um, believe it or not, this is a Bible study and we will be referring to it. Um, and it says in verse 7, give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. That, that's a kind of a bottom line that, that I spot uh, in uh, chapter 5. And what I love about this evening's topic is that um, Pastor Dave has not been persecuting me so much this time. And um, it actually fits very neatly into our statline as a fellowship. Learning to love as Jesus does. And so family love um, we're going to look at. We are a family. Now, um, if I can do Okay. So let's define family, shall we? A family is a group of related things a human family includes people such as parents with a child or children who form a unit. Also, a family has human descendants from a common ancestor, which is uh, quite interesting um, when you, if you're interested in studying back uh, to the um, dim, distant past. And um, even our scientists are saying that uh, it looks remarkably as though we have um, one common ancestor. Ouch. Um, so we, whether we're praying for coronavirus in China, the suffering church, as uh, Julia led us, um, 
there are, these are all aspects of our global family um, and of our church family worldwide. Now, I don't know if you've noticed that Christians, to be a Christian, you have two families and two birthdays. Um, <laughs> one birth, uh, one is by our first birth. The second is by a second birth. I'm not saying this very well, am I? We all have a biological family. That's our first birth. And then when we become a follower of Jesus and we trust our eternal future to Jesus and ask him to forgive us of our sin and sort us out and put us right with God, we become born again. And we have a second birth. So the thing is, not only do we have a first and a second birth, but we have a first and second family. A birth family and a spiritual family, the family of God. Are you with me now? Some of you were looking at me old-fashioned as we say in mockery. A birth family and a spiritual family. So when we use the expression, the, the church family, it's actually not a gimmick. It's a description of who we are. And can I make a point that you, you may have recognized for yourself, for sure, because they're showing um, David Koresh and some of, and, and some of these um, cult leaders on the TV at the moment. There are a couple of documentaries happening on people, um, um, Manson and uh, these people. A sure sign of a cult is when people are encouraged to abandon their birth family. Aha. Uh -huh. It's almost up there, number one, of what you have to do to belong. Abandon your, your family, your birth family. What's the Apostle Paul doing? We'll find out at the end because that's my bottom verse. The top verse, and then there's a bottom verse where he says we are worse than infidels if we neglect our birth family. It's part of our Christian witness. So let's make that point as well. Now, a church family, like a human family, has um, different generations. Um, and um, so I, I just want to name three um, characteristics uh, of our church family. There. Um, Number one, we are multi-generational, like a birth family. Number two, we do something separately and bespoke for each generation, like we do in a birth family. We don't sit a three-year-old down to watch news at 10 and say, "This will enjoy this. We have bespoke activities for different generations. And then number three, we do some things corporately. Um, and on TV, they call it a family show, isn't it? And so on. Uh, so we do something separately and bespoke for the generations. 
and then sometimes we do things corporately and general for each generation. And I have to say one of the proudest things for me as a husband is that my wife has the knack of leaving all age. <laughs> I don't envy anyone with that task. All age. We used to call it family something or other. Uh, worship. But uh, all age. And uh, is it like a holy grail? And uh, it's, it's quite a challenge for churches to think of ways to bring the family together, isn't it? What can we do together? What can we do? What should we do separately? Okay, let's move on. So Paul addresses the issue of age and gender in the first two verses. Um, and it leads us to reflect that older family members tend to reflect on the past. Please don't be offended. I'm now 65, so I've got a right to speak here. Older members tend to reflect on the past, tend, might, may, <laughs> things that are permanent, things maybe that are more traditional, things which may be of a golden oldie taste, both musically and in spirituality. Some of you are saying, And the apostle says, don't rebuke an older man harshly. There's also an issue of honor and shame in Middle Eastern culture here, but that, that's for another time. But exhort him as if he were your father. And older women as mothers. Um, and uh, I told you about um, Don Rowley last time when I went on too long. Apologies, it won't happen tonight. And I have a, a female counterpart, Mrs. Snook, who was uh, a, a nurse, a retired nurse. She became a mother in Israel to me <laughs> when I was uh, in my teens. Older women as though they are your mother. And then younger church family members might, may, tend to reflect that which is current, trending, perhaps sensory, multimedia, contemporary. It's a contemporary taste in music and spirituality. Different ages, horses for courses. And Paul is saying to the older ones, treat younger men as brothers and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. And uh, I have preached a lot in all sorts of situations. I've said to you before that I think Julia and I are C of E, Pente, Batsy, Cove, Nefer, Congreve, Preethquake, and uh, we're members of the Church of Jesus Christ, but I know that one of the biggest things that churches get uh, a certain item of under, 
undergarments in a twist, is about the issue of worship style and music. And I want to say a church whose worship style reflects only the younger or only the older falls short. Both must be present for a healthy church family and that we have give and take. A family caters for the needs of all its members. And um, because I used to be a worship leader and all the rest of it, when Dave and I first knew me, if I hadn't got a guitar strapped to my chest, they didn't recognize me. Um, And people say, well, what's your favorite uh, kind of music? And I quote Jesus in Matthew 13 and verse 52. Matthew 13, 52. Every teacher who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures. Aha. Oldies. New treasures as well as old. Young people, deal with it. (laughs) New and old. And don't let's be sidetracked in this church by what is one of the enemy's um, angles of leverage within churches. Now, if we move on to the the next thing, um, those in need, um, and there are more verses connected with it. Now, Paul may have sounded like a misogynist in chapter 2. He's talking about how the the ladies should dress. They shouldn't disturb um, the teaching. They shouldn't be teaching. Those of you who know anything about the Middle East will, will know that some of the church services uh, can get out of hand, and um, people need to shush and listen. <laughs> um, but what I want to say is Paul is writing in a context, and he's helping the believers to live for Jesus Christ in that historic context. And I I do get frustrated with modern people um, who want to argue the toss that Paul is a misogynist. The issue is, if Paul were living today, how would he change what he's saying? That's the issue. Not what he said to first century Christians. Give him a break. (laughs) Now, there's I'm sorry, I'm about to make a sexist remark. Any female engineers here? Okay, I've got... Oh, excellent, because Johnson's not here, so I know he's engineering background. We used to have a thing that you could pump into, like a liquid, you could pump into stuff that's rusting, and it goes in and it goes solid, so it holds the whole structure. And it used to be available, whether they've stopped selling that now used to be on adverts on the telly and everybody's looking at me totally blank um and uh, <laughs> who sounds in the right uh, neck of the woods and what we're looking at with the church of jesus christ is that the gospel and christian living 
um, oozes out of us into society that is flaky and dropping to bits <laughs> and brings solidity to that society as to how women and men should relate together, how families should operate, what does family life look like in the heart of God. And there are so many things that Paul actually has taught in the New Testament, which are now seen as good practice in our enlightened day, as well as lots of criticism that he comes in for. That said, let's go to verse 3. What does he do if he's misogynistic? He should be not even talking about the women. Just let them sort themselves out. But no, a significant proportion of this section of the chapter is about women and how we treat women as a community. So, widows, verse 3, recognize the widows. I love this. Um, and, and as uh, Elaine read so beautifully, the phrase the widows who are really in need. That phrase comes in verse 3, verse 5, and verse 16, if I'm not mistaken. Those who are really in need. And he opens it up in verse 5 and says, really in need, i.e. left alone. There is no biological family, no birth family who can do for them. They are really in need. Please don't tell me that's misogynistic. And then he splits widows into good and bad. And by the way, why widows? You say, what's, what's this thing about widows? It's because of the society in those days that there were certain people who were so vulnerable in that society. Um, they had a documentary last night about Raine Spencer. I don't know if anybody saw it. And her, the Spencer family, Princess Diana, Charles, her brother, came, uh, became the uh, Earl in his father's place. And she'd never got, the children had never got on with her. And the documentary showed how the day after he died, her bags effectively were packed and on the doorstep. Go and find it on iTunes. That would be typical of Paul's day. Women had no rights. They were chattel <laughs> to their husbands. And Paul splits widows into two categories. In verse 9, he says a widow is over 60. Where hey, some of us qualify. And that means they're unable to work. Physically, life was hard, and they need help. But he says a good widow has been faithful to her husband. Verse 10, well known for good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble. Now, if you want to say that's misogynistic, you need to look at the requirements for a deacon, which is a man in his day, because that person has to have brought their kids upright and be in control of their family, etc., etc. So don't we once we get our glasses 
people tend to read into Paul what he's not actually saying. But then there are bad widows. That's my word. Verse 6, the young widow's, widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Verse 11, when the sensual desires of younger widows um, overcome their dedication to Christ, they go looking to marry. Now, he in Corinthians, he gives marital advice to young men as well. And uh, that's where you get that it's better to marry than to burn, as the um, King James puts it uh, for younger people. So again, it's not just the women, but he's speaking about the women here. And he doesn't want to see um, women who are running around, verse 12, they bring judgment on themselves, verse 13. They also get into the habit of being idle, busy bodies who talk nonsense. <laughs> A lot of Christians talk nonsense, but anyway. <laughs> saying things they ought not to say. A lot of Christians say things they ought not to say, and I'm one of them. Verse 14. So I counsel younger widows to marry, have children, manage their homes, and give the enemy no opportunity uh, for slander. Okay. So, last one, um, and we're doing well. Um, biological and spiritual family. Jesus had a family. Um, I think I was speaking recently and touched on it. He lost uh, his earthly parent Joseph uh, by the time he was 30 years old he lived in Nazareth Nazareth with his mother Mary and those that we think were step siblings uh, from Joseph's first marriage but it's very it's almost amusing um, to see Jesus with his family they were quite irritating um, so you get in Mark 3 Jesus entered a house in Capernaum uh, Capernaum where a crowd gathered, and when his family heard about it, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. The man's gone mad, you know? Um, this is his family, you know what I'm saying? Um, and then in Mark 3, 31, Jesus' mother and brothers arrived and stood outside another house and uh, where Jesus was sitting with people around him. They sent someone in to call him um, and say, your tea's on the table, come home. Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you, and then you'll know what Jesus says. Um, who is my mother and brothers and sisters? These <laughs> are. So Jesus um, was, had such a balance of his biological birth family and the spiritual family of God. So this is Paul's um, encouragement about widows. Verse 4. If a widow has children or grandchildren, they should care for their own blood relations and so repay their parents and grandparents, which pleases God. And then verse 16, any believing women and with widows in their care, that's interesting, isn't it? Any believing women who have widows in their care should continue to help them. So the, here's the expression. So the church is not burdened and can help those widows who are, here it is, really in need. It's lovely, isn't it? Very practical. 
you know, Paul can be spiritually sublime, but he is intensely practical as well. So, in closing here, um, this is my bottom line that I feel is Paul's bottom line in verse 8. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives of their birth family, and especially for their own household, we now call that the nuclear family, yeah? The sociologists do. I always think it's because households are explosive. So it's nuclear. But it's not nuclear, it's nuclear, a nucleus. So that's your um, household family, not extended. Your relatives are your extended. Anyone who does not provide even for your extended family. Who does this best in this country? Pakistani Muslims. An Australian friend of mine says, I'll travel 300 miles in Australia and I'll be in the same town that my uncle and auntie live. I may go and see them, may not, usually don't. And that's how we are, he said. <laughs> that's not a sideswipe at Australians, <laughs> but it's, an, it's just mentioning that that is where one of my friends is coming from. And we in the West uh, are not as um, kind of aware and committed in these things as people who come from non-Western cultures. But he says, especially provide for your own household. And if you don't, you have denied the faith, and you are worse than an unbeliever. So that's Paul's teaching on those who are really in need in our fellowship. And may St. Stephen's move to, to the point where there is no one in need. We are a social service all of our own church of Jesus Christ <laughs> when it's working well God bless oh, thank you Steve for that thank you for helping us think about what it means to be part of a church family